The superpower that every citizen has is the ability to control where they spend their time, money, and attention. By focusing these on supporting local businesses, you are having a profound impact on your friends, your family, and your local community. So if you want to change the world, you can start with buying local. Welcome back, everyone, to Buying Local. I'm your host, Mike Nelson, here today, joined by Don, the soldier's son, Walton. You still go by that that yep. moniker, the soldier's son? Yep. Which, uh, hopefully here, you're going to tell us a little bit about that in a bit. Uh, excited to have Don on the show. I've known Don for, God, it's over 10 years now, I think. Yeah. Back from when uh, uh, Sam, Sam Romanza had uh, North Point MMA. Right? Was it North, North Point? Point Martial Arts? Martial Arts, not <clears throat> MMA. That's right. Yeah. Over in Glens Falls on Broad Street, which was that had to have been ten years ago. Something like that, probably. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, Don, you are a man of many talents. Uh, you were a stand-up comedian. Are you still doing stand-up? No, not anymore. Not anymore. Uh, so, stand-up comedian. Uh, well, amateur now, professional fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, MMA? Are you an MMA, MMA, MMA fighter yep, yep. specifically? And right? Muay Thai. And Muay Thai. That's I. I was actually I was looking at the your your fight record for your amateur your, and then now your pro fights and some of them are listed differently. Like I think you had a kickboxing match. Yeah. Definitely had some Muay Thai in there. And uh, so we're going to talk about that background. Um, and and really, and then you were just telling me before the show about uh, your involvement with the Olympic Muay Thai fighting team which i think is is really cool too so we're gonna talk about all that stuff excited to explore that appreciate you uh coming on the show yeah thank glad to be here yeah how are you good good and you just get you just came here from training yeah so i just got done training a client so basically i'm in and out of the gym all day yeah Uh, if i'm not training for myself i am training other people as well so it's all i do all day is just martial arts it's just martial arts that sounds amazing it's a lot of fun yeah yeah. I, I sometimes have a hard time explaining what I do as an actual job. Like, it doesn't feel real to me that it's a career. Like, I feel like I, you know, we're, we're told to do certain things in our lives, education, all that. And I'm not knocking having an education or, you know, a responsible adult job by any means. But I just reached a point in my life where I was just like, I'm done. I'm, yeah. I'm done trying to fit into what I was told I'm supposed to do. And yeah. I just said, I'm going to choose to be happy. Yeah. And then eventually a career came out of it. So. Now, I'm trying to, to, to kind of go back and give people a little bit of your background. So I think when I met you, right, at North Point, I think you were a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, right? Yeah. And you're, what belt are you now, brown? I'm, I'm a brown, like Jim said that my black belt is coming. It's like, coming. Soon. Like, and that freaks me out. But, yeah. you know, there are people who look at me and they're like, what do you mean you don't want to be a black belt? I'm like, people don't realize that there's like a certain level of like responsibility and expectation that comes with that. Yeah. I like being a really good brown belt. But when I was a purple belt and I turned brown, I didn't want to be a brown belt. Cause right, right, so right. eventually what happens is you fall in love with the rank that you have. You really like it. And then they go, hey, time to move on. Like a butt. And I had an instructor years ago explain to me, he goes, good. You should feel that way. He's yeah. just like, because it forces you to be that much better and work that much harder by the time you get to that rank and once you get that rank now you have to try and fill that yeah i guess it's, it's interesting you say that too because it's like when you're an underbelt tapping out someone who's a belt above you right like mm-hmm. that's a big deal so when you're a brown belt tapping out black belts or a white belt tapping out blue or whatever it is like that's uh i'm sure that's a lot of fun yeah. but then you become 
the next belt, right? And uh, the pressure. Now it's just expected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now you can't let those brown belts tap you out. Otherwise, exactly. You get made fun of. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you're a blue belt. Uh, but I remember even back then that you you made the decision that you wanted to be a fighter. Yeah. So why on God's green earth does anyone make the decision to become a fighter? <clears throat> tell me, tell me what that. Okay. So a long time ago when I first started training, I was just doing it for fun. Literally the first thing I said, and it's because of wrestling in high school, I missed doing some form of grappling. Yep. And so I got So into, you were a wrestler? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. So you I freaking wrestlers. Yeah. I wrestled in Saratoga high school. Okay. And I just, you know, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life. I trained martial arts since I was young as well. Mm -hmm. I did Taekwondo originally. And you did that at Nadakana, which we should have mentioned already, that that's where you train. And that's where, right? Were you doing Taekwondo? No, no, you didn't. Oh, okay. No, um, it was out of a different Taekwondo school that I'm no longer a part of. And I left that. Um, It it reached a point for them where they were no longer about the martial arts. They were about the money. Yeah. That's unfortunate. And so I just was like, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. But I still love training. So I was trying to find a different gym to train out of. And I, you know, spent about two years off and on training martial arts in different places Mm -hmm. until I was 19, where I found James Bruchek. And so what happened was I was working in a store that I, you know, I was just working a miserable job trying to figure out what to do with my miserable life. And I met my buddy Larry Canal, who he passed away a few years ago, but I remember he came into the store and was talking to me about martial arts. And they said, you should really try this place out. And I go, all right, fine. The hidden gem of yeah, Greenfield Center. Exactly. <laughs> and so I go there and the first class was a kickboxing class that mm-hmm. Jim was teaching. And so Jim was my first instructor I ever had for that. And I liked it because, again, I did Taekwondo. I go, all right, let's get into the jiu-jitsu, what I came here for. I want to grapple. Yeah. And it was me... And one other guy in the class at first, because this is like when Jim first started. Sure. And I just remember. Well, I how many? How old? Are, how many years ago was that? I was nineteen. I'm thirty-one now. So whatever the math is on. What, that. what is that? Is that? I I need a calculator. For, maybe the audience could phone in. And <laughs> that's eleven, 11 years 11 ago. Years. So, so well, think about jujitsu eleven years ago too. Like it wasn't as prominent as it is now, right? Yeah. So like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, and I just remember going against a guy where he just, he was a white belt, but he at least had a little bit more experience than me. I remember I landed a takedown. I'm like, huh. And then all of a sudden I'm getting strangled. I'm like, I don't understand what just happened. I'm on top. This shit. I'm the one. I landed the takedown. Yeah. I should. And then all of a sudden I'm like, all right. And then I started to slowly do it. But basically what happened was that why I said to Jim, I go, I don't really like, I almost didn't want to compete Mm because I just, you know, I have severe anxiety. At the time, still do on other things, but comp- competing now, I don't have that. But which is amazing to me that you go in the ring and potentially be getting kicked or punched. See, in the that face. doesn't cause that. It, it, I used <laughs> to have it with that. Don't get me wrong, but like I've been through so much violence that like in and out of the ring. Yeah, because I also used to work a lot of security jobs. Sure. And like doing that made fighting seem like nothing. And it wasn't so much because like you can take an average Joe. The issue is sometimes a knife or a weapon gets pulled on you. All of a sudden, fighting is just like I'm almost jaded to it now where it, it freaks Jim out when I'm warming up backstage because I don't really do much. I kind of take a nap and just I stay relaxed. Yeah. And he's just like, do, do you want to hit pads? Do you want to maybe break a little sweat? I'm like, nah, man, I'm good. And it just it, it honestly it gives him anxiety that I'm not anxious. <laughs> 
But, yeah, so I started doing well, and I yeah. said, okay, I'll try one jiu-jitsu competition. And then I did a few more. What was your first jiu-jitsu? Was it Naga? It was out in Rochester. What was the name of the tournament? U.S. Grappling. I don't even know if they're still around. But I remember I got silver, and I really enjoyed it. And I go, okay. And it wasn't the same as wrestling in high school. Because in high school wrestling, I remember, like, we were kids. But, like, some of the kids were kind of, like, on my team would kind of like haze you and mm-hmm. cause like they'd get mad at you if you lost. They don't do that yeah. at our school with our team. If we lose, oh, it happens, you know? And so it was really interesting where I go, wow, this is awesome. Even though I got silver, you know, when I lost, I, I had this anxiety that like someone was going to pick on me for it. And I was like, dude, you did awesome. I'm like, all right, this is a very positive environment. Yeah. And then I did a couple more jiu-jitsu competitions, and I was starting to also learn striking, like proper striking, because, again, the school I was out of originally, they never really taught you to fight. Sure. Like, there was never, especially, I think the biggest thing was they never gave you an opportunity to apply the lesson in a real scenario. Well, it's Taekwondo, right? So you're doing a yeah. lot of katas. Yeah. You end up doing, like, some board breaking. And break breaking even the sparring is not fighting. Yeah, my kids, I had my kids in uh, Taekwondo when they were younger. And yeah. I remember watching them spar and it was just, it was an interesting thing to watch because it didn't seem very practical. No, it, it was, it was a, I, I hate to. I know, I don't want to bag on but it. But it's, they're, they're trained to point fight. They're trained to touch the dot. You get yelled at if there's any impact at this one school. We would get yelled at for that. And so it became more of a sport. Like MMA is a sport, but let's be real. Like yeah, that transfers over a lot more. But there's a time and a place for Taekwondo things. And there are things from my Taekwondo background that I still use to this day. Yeah. But there are certain things you have to throw out the window as well. And so basically I started to learn how to fight for the first time as well with with um, our school. And it just reached a point where I was being a sparring partner for other guys that were fighting amateur and I was holding my own with them. Mm-hmm. And I still was like, oh, do I want to do this? I don't know. And then I finally made the decision where I was like, you know what? Let me push myself and see what happens. So in March of 2014, what happened was I was at this weird point in my life where I was deciding what to do and my dad died. And so I've suffered from depression, anxiety, and issues my entire life. And when my father passed, I just started fighting all the time. I was competing regularly and I was focused on it. And it's funny, I fight now for a different... Back then when I started fighting, it was to deal with my mental health issues. Mm -hmm. It was to battle those demons and survive. It was me... There were some days where I would just go to the gym because I didn't want to focus on what was going on inside my head. Sure. And eventually it reached a point where, you know, things catch up. Those, I eventually had to deal with my problems and got mm-hmm. therapy and all that too. But fighting really gave me the outlet I needed. Now, it wasn't the cure for my issues. I eventually had to face them. But it really was, it was a really good thing for me to be able to do to help me. But while I was in those battles, there were moments during the day because when I'm training, you know, when you're being put in a chokehold, you're pretty focused and present on yeah, that, right? Yeah, you have to be. You're going to die. <laughs> Your mind's not thinking about all the things that are bothering you at that yeah. point. It's just, I'm being choked. And so when I tell people, I go, I have people who are just like, oh, it must feel good to get that aggression out. I go, that's the thing. It's not. There's nothing going on in my head. Mm-hmm. It's that that noise, that chatter that a lot of people have, it's off. It has to be. Yeah. Because if it's on, you're going to get killed. 
Like, so you have to deal with the moment and be present. And so that's why I really enjoy training because it's a moment where my, all that chatter that's in my brain turns off, if that makes sense. Yeah. hundred so, percent. Anyway, I, I went on a tear for a while and I became ranked number one in New York. So hold on. Let's, before we go forward okay. with that though, uh, tell me about your first night. Oh my God. All right. Cause so, I, cause I want to like, the idea is fascinating to me, not ever having been in more than like a little scuffle here and there as a kid, you know what I mean? Uh, climbing into a ring with someone that they're, they're there to hurt you. You're there to hurt them. Uh, describe to people listening that will never be in yeah, that. So, uh, like, what is that like? Really? So it took me about a year and a half before I could get an opponent to stick around. So what happened was I was supposed to fight in Massachusetts originally. And my opponent, two days before the fight, had to pull out because he got MRSA. Oh. And I found well, yeah, out. you probably don't want to fight that guy. Yeah, no. Well, I found <laughs> out the week. This is where it gets dumb. This is why I hate people with this. This sport, it gives you trust issues because you're getting ready for some guy. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden they pull for some stupid re- Sometimes it's a real injury. but So yeah. the guy got a tattoo the week before the fight. And, you know, if you get a tattoo, you shouldn't be on the mats training because it's an exposed wound. It's got to heal, for sure. so it got infected. And then I want to say probably a couple months after that, it it reached a point where finally we found someone. And then two weeks before that fight, the guy dropped out, didn't give a reason, just dropped out. And basically his coach just said he hasn't been showing up to the gym. We don't know where he's been. So... So he's not training, so yeah. he's going to get pummeled. And so finally, so it's a two-week notice. They found me a last-minute opponent against a guy who was 1-0 at the time. So I was making my debut, and I remember I was training for a guy who's orthodox. For the viewers that don't know what that means, it means that you're right-handed, so you fight with your left leg forward, right leg back. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find any tape on the guy, so we go out there. The guy walks out southpaw, and he's so tall compared to me. And I remember, above all else, I couldn't feel my hands. Like, I mean, like, let's be honest here. Were you scared shitless? Oh, yeah. Because I think I would be terrified. I was I was excited for sure. But then yeah, that like, mixture of like fear and excitement and adrenaline. Yeah. And I just remember I get out there and I'm looking at the guys. Like, yeah, it's finally happening. And then they shut the doors. And all of a sudden reality. I'm like, oh, crap, I'm going to fight. Yeah. So I go out there. The kid threw a kick. I avoided it, grabbed it, took him down right away. And I was owning him. Just was having a hard time putting the kid away. He was tough. Round is over. Round two is about to come. I remember I sit down on the stool and Jesse Bruchek comes over in my corner. And he goes, how are you feeling? I remember looking up at him. I go, I'm really tired. He, he looks at me and he goes, well, you got another round. I'm like, crap. And I ended up taking the guy down again. And I ended up choking him out with the guillotine. So I choked him and he tapped out. And then that was my debut. And I just remember like I was over the moon, dead tired, and just absolutely exhausted. Yeah. But I had I was the first fight of the night too, so I was thrilled about that. And I have never been the first fight of the night ever since. So I've always been like later on the card and I'm just sitting there in the locker room hearing the crowd yelling and I'm just like <sighs> Yeah. Just sitting there letting my thoughts get to myself. But now now I'm jaded to it. Now I don't care. Now I'm napping before a fight, just yeah. chilling. Yeah, I bet at some point you just kinda it becomes normal. Yeah. That first one's got to be the worst one, though. Yeah. No, that it, it's, you know, I'm envious of people when they have their first fight because yeah. like, you'll never get that feeling back again. Like that first fight feeling, that first time that you ever do it. Yeah. It's incredible and terrifying all in one shot. Yeah. Yeah. I bet, man. I, I, listen, I, 
It's interesting because you think about it like just going to class and sparring and stuff like that. Like, you know, your training partners, you you trust them. You know, they're not going to mess yeah. you up realistically. But then going into a competition against people that you don't know, you know, like it's just a different all the all, or all around. It's just a different story. And I tell our guys that I go, look, this is not a sport. This is not, you know, and I try my best. There's a certain line. You try your best to mimic how brutal the fight's going to be without murdering your guys. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, I'm just like, this is a guy that is coming to kill you. This is not some guy that's going to come and play. Like, it's, and this is going to sound messed up saying, but like, it's a death match as far as I'm concerned. The only thing that's preventing it is that referee. Sure. The referee steps in because in reality, if there was no referee... I would keep going until you're no longer on this earth. Like that's, sure. and that's my, as uh, other fighters might be different. My mentality is I'm there to kill you. That's it. If you come in thinking that this is a sport, I'm coming in thinking, no, this is a fight to the death and that's it. And so that's how I think of it when I go into the ring now is, and it's because of what I've been through in my life that like, I just, you know, I reach a point where like, I go, I don't care if I die here. I will gladly die here if that's what it takes. And as messed up as that sounds, that's the mentality you have to have. And that's how I think. Other people might disagree with me who've done this sport, but that's my mentality. Well, I'd say that you're credible at this point in time. Yeah, so so. Uh, you're, you're definitely allowed to, to view it the way you want to. And I'm certainly glad that I'm not getting in the ring against you. So, um, so you started to say before, uh, New York State. Mm -hmm. So you became number one in New York State? I was ranked the number one amateur lightweight in New York State. And I was offered a pro contract at that point in another promotion, but I said, no, not yet. And I knew better. The issue with our area is, compared to other areas, we are not as like experienced in this area with martial arts as California, for example. Sure. So Which I, is where you went to. Yes. Yeah, so I spent a year... After that traveling, I would travel once or twice a month somewhere. And so I checked out like Coconut Creek in Florida, checked out, you know, all kinds of gyms everywhere. I went to Montreal at one point and I checked out TriStar. I checked out some places in North Carolina, checked out a place in New Mexico. And eventually I had this list of gyms, but I kind of, my heart was set in California, but I go, let me check out these other places first. And when I went to California, I went to Kings MMA in Huntington Beach, who is ran by Rafael Cordero. And he's a legend. He trained guys like Anderson Silva, Shogun Hua, Vanderlei Silva. He was training Kelvin Gastelum a while back. He's the one that um, trained Mike Tyson for his fight against uh, Roy Jones Jr. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So That's crazy. Yeah. So it reached a point where I moved there. I didn't know how I was going to do it. Sure. But I did it. Yeah. I imagine that a guy like that that's trained names like that is probably not the most accessible. Uh, he's... It, I would say I mean, you just walk in, be like, "Hey, bud, I want you to, I want yeah. you to train me." And yeah, so what it is, you can take the classes, and so there's the pro classes and there's the regular classes. The pro classes, you have to be like invited in. You can't just show up and do it. So what I do is I went there on vacation for a week, and I trained with them. And it was my first day. I took the um, the advanced Muay Thai class. There's the there's a beginner and advanced class. And then there's the pro class. So I did the advanced Muay Thai class because I already told him, go, look, I got a couple fights. Let me. And when I got done, Raphael said, yeah, you can take the pro class. I'm like, day one, I'm in? Sweet. I didn't realize the hell I was in for. So 
Now, had you done Muay Thai before at that point? I trained in kickboxing. The issue is there's no Muay Thai instructors here. So I've, right. I've done Muay Thai. Well, there is now. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about myself. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we, I had done Muay Thai with an instructor when I was here. Um, he was in town temporarily until he moved. And so it was a couple months with him. We had uh, this guy, Ajar Nelson, where he was a Muay Thai master as well. And he came here and did a seminar. With Solid us. So name. I had a... Um, I had a, uh, a an understanding of Muay Thai, and kickboxing can transfer over to Muay Thai. So that's what I was going to ask you, because I, I, I know legitimately I know nothing about mm-hmm. Muay Thai, but I have heard people talk about Muay Thai the way that a lot of people talk about jiu-jitsu, where it's just life-changing, amazing art, like... So what's uh, explain Muay Thai for for me and for yeah. other people that don't know the difference. So Muay Thai is not kickboxing, but they can transfer. Okay, kickboxing and Muay Thai. The difference is in Muay Thai, you're allowed to clinch, which means I can grab you, I can throw elbows to your face, I can knee you in the face, I can knee you in the body and hold on, I can sweep and trip and throw you in Muay Thai, mm-hmm. and I can even do things like I can catch your leg and trip you with that. And kickboxing, there's no clinch work, there's no elbows, there's no knees. So that's the biggest difference above all else. Okay. So so kickboxing is really it's kicks, kicks and, and punches. boxing. Okay. Yeah. Right. So kicks that, and punches. That makes sense. Why they call it kickboxing? Exactly. Then. <laughs> and so the big difference is I think Muay Thai transfers more into MMA than kickboxing does yeah. because of the aspect of the clinching. That is my biggest take, in my opinion, and the elbows and other stuff with that. But. Okay. It, it just reached a point where, so I did the Muay Thai class and then they knew that I had rank in jiu-jitsu. And so they said, hey, you can try a pro class. And still, I'm only there for a week just trying things out. And what, what belt were you in jiu-jitsu at that point? I was a purple belt at that purple point. Purple belt, okay. Yeah. So I um, I went with this guy named Makahau. Makahau has a reputation. And so they do this thing at King's called the King's Welcome. They want everybody that walks in there to know that they are some of the baddest dudes there. So we're doing going through the class, doing different drills, and Macau is this big jack Brazilian guy. And as I'm going with him, I start to realize how strong he is, and he's very serious. Then they go, okay, we're gonna spar. Macahau wrecked me, <laughs> destroyed me. I called Jim afterwards, and like I was literally like, dude, I was just like, dude, I don't feel right. He goes, what do you mean? I go, I don't know. Something's going on internally, like in my stomach. I, yeah, I think I have internal bleeding yeah. from Makahau. And I just, I remember calling Jim about it and he was just laughing his butt off at me. I'm like, dude, I'm not okay. And he's just laughing. I'm like, I'm glad you find this funny. <laughs> but the community there and Raphael was such a good dude. And what I did when I went there was I paid Raphael for a private lesson. And so I did a private lesson with Raphael and he said to me, he goes, you have a lot of potential, obviously things we need to fix. He goes, but I think that you could be very good at this. And so... I made the decision, I, I want to say about six, seven months later, my lease was finally up and I go, all right, I'm out of here. And I moved. And so I drove cross country and all of a sudden that was my new home for five years. And yeah, it wasn't that long that you were there. That's right. Yeah, I know. I tell people that they're like, five years? I'm like, yeah, I was gone for five years. And so first I found a roommate and... Not to get too into detail, but I realized I didn't like living with these roommates. So I reached a point where I go, okay, it's really expensive. I can't afford to live on my own because mm-hmm. I remember at one point I was paying two grand a month for like one of the worst apartments I've ever lived in oh, in my yeah. life. But it's California. Where in California? Is uh, I was in Huntington Beach. Huntington so Beach, it's Southern right. California yeah. in Orange County. 
So really expensive place to live. So what I did was I went and bought a 93 Volkswagen Eurovan. Nice. And it was like teal on the bottom. The top was white. And I'm just like, yo, this thing is sweet. Did you go like park this thing at a beach and like live in your van? That sounds freaking amazing. It was awesome. And like it was cool other than like sometimes like some of the neighbors might freak out if they realize there's a man living in a van by their house. (laughs) So once it happened once in a blue moon, the cops would come knocking. They were cool about it. They understood. They go, hey, just so you know, you should probably move because the neighbors are freaked out. And like they were like, you're not doing anything wrong. You're perfectly in your right to do this. We just asked to avoid an issue. And I would go, okay, where do you want me to go? And they would suggest areas. And for a while I could. So there's one area. It was in between Long Beach and Huntington Beach called Sunset Beach. So I would park overnight there. And what I would do is I would leave. So I had two. I had a Mazda 3 and my Volkswagen Eurovan. Mm-hmm. I would park the Mazda downtown Huntington Beach in random places. I would drive the Eurovan to Sunset Beach at night. And then I would just drive it back. It was like a mile both ways. And then I just switched and I'd drive my own car around. So I didn't have a job at the time. So I was Ubering. There were two reasons I did that. One, money. But two, it helped me understand the area. And so I got to figure out a lot. And so it helped me kind of understand the area a little bit better and know where I was going. Because it's huge out there. Like people don't like out here, the average speed limit for the roads here are like 30 miles an hour. Out there, the average is 45. And they're like three lane roads. Yeah. And then the highway can go anywhere from five to like eight lanes and it still gets jam packed there during the day. Yeah. It's crazy. So I just, you know, I trained there for what an amazing time. So how many years were you living in the van? I only lived in it for a year. Sounds like such a great time to me. Oh, it was, <laughs> is that weird? Is that, if it was listening, so that much fun. And then I yeah, remember, so I ended up in a relationship at one point and I moved in with the girl we had, you know, a life together, but it was just funny how I remember we were, this is, this girl has such low standards at one point, I swear. So, because I remember at one point she was like, how can we never go to your place? I'm like, uh, uh how do I explain? And I found... Because it's a van. Yeah. We, then, we, we are actually, you're in it. We're driving down the road. <laughs> <laughs> I eventually explained to her. She goes, that's really cool. And I'm like, all right, as long as you're cool with it, because I'm the weird dude living in a van. Yeah, whatever, man. I think it's pretty cool to have a dream and to yeah. want to go after it hard enough to make sacrifices like yeah. that. I, I think it's pretty amazing. The so, amount of, and it sounds really cool. Yeah. The amount of money I spent on my own training, I could have been a doctor. Yeah. I bet. You know, money wise, everything else now. So, so you're out there for five years, right? And you're training with this guy that trained Mike Tyson and a bunch of other names and you're doing some fights while you're out there too. Mm-hmm. How, how, what does that look like for you? The competition out there was fierce. It was, yeah, I was just out there recently. We took one of our kids out there to do a uh, Muay Thai competition. Yeah. And you can just see there's such a difference that I did. But that area, like, you throw a rock, you're going to hit, like, a legit fight gym. Yeah. You know what I mean? So here, there's us, and then there's only, like, I can, like, count on one hand how many, like, legit, like, martial sure. arts gyms there are here where, like, their students could stand their own. So it's super different. And those kids... There's there's regular there's a fight every weekend out in California, like so there's never any shortage of like fight promotions out there. Yeah. Here there are two that sure. like are within driving distance that I care to work with. So it just it's so different the culture out there and out here like you mentioned Muay Thai people have no idea what you're talking about. You mentioned Muay Thai out in California, everybody and their sister knows what you're talking about. Yeah, well it's funny like um, literally Chad and I were talking maybe a few months ago. He's like, he was talking about reaching out to you because he's like I'd like to do a little Muay Thai stuff. He's like and Don's the only person out here that's that's doing Muay Thai. Like yeah. that's it. Yeah. So which is pretty cool. Yeah. The next closest Muay Thai coach is in Albany. Yeah. And that's my buddy Jeremy. And that's it. And that's it. Yeah. yeah as far as ones that I would recommend. Yeah. So. 
So, so you're out there fighting, winning some, losing some, I assume, mm-hmm. right? Yep, uh, yep. And, but that's all amateur status. Yeah. The, the amateur, the thing I was trying to, and this is the other thing about this area, being an amateur doesn't mean anything. Like being the best amateur. Okay, cool. Like, it's like, and I say this, I was in special education mm-hmm. and I was awful at school and there'd be kids that would be super try hard, which you should definitely try hard at school. But if they were in special ed with me, they'd be bragging. And I was just like, dude, you're still in special ed. Like, you know, if you were like the best, like the valedictorian, okay, now you have something to brag about. Okay. So like being the best amateur, it doesn't mean anything. Sure. Got it. Okay. So you're the best at the lowest level. Okay. If that makes sense. So being the best pro fighter, that's where you got something to brag about. Yeah. You know, so. Well, and that's, I mean, nothing for nothing, but that's where the money is. Exactly (laughs) my point. That's where suddenly you're able to afford a certain lifestyle. So for me, I made the decision to turn pro when I came home. I tell people this. I go, you need to reach a point in your amateur career where you are just walking through people and you've tried a variety of competitions. So like if you just fight for one promotion, Mm -hmm. that promotion has a certain pool of fighters, if that makes sense. They have a... You know, they're always getting more fighters, but they have a certain pool of fighters that they use. Okay, so in this area, like I said, there's only a handful of gyms, right? So those handful of gyms are all competing against each other. Maybe someone random from out of state comes in. Sure. But again, there's only like four or five places here I'd recommend for you to train out of if you want to be a fighter. Okay, so out of like five gyms, who's the best? Compared to California, out of thousands of gyms, who's the best? You see what I'm saying? So I knew that. I was very well educated, thankfully, because um, James Bruchek was very good at helping me understand the levels. Yeah. So when I went to California, it, the competition got much tougher. And so I had some losses on my career and people out here don't understand. They go, what do you mean you're losing? I go, dude, you don't realize that like I'm fighting like real fighters. Right. Like, you know, there are such legit places out there. You can't get away with not training. So All the like, time. Sometimes I lost. It happens. That's the amateurs for it. But the point of the amateurs is to learn those lessons. Mm-hmm. And so there is the real difference between an amateur and a pro. And then there's what there should be. The difference between an amateur and a pro fight to tell people is there's no difference other than you get paid. You get paid. It's the entertainment industry. And so the number one question that you get asked when you talk to a new promoter, they're going to ask, how many tickets can you sell? How many pay-per-views can you sell mm-hmm. for me? Do you have a fan base? They don't ask if you're good. That. They'll ask those questions too, but they're more, right. you know, they're looking to make money compared to like in football. If you want to be a professional football player, you just got to be good. You just got to be good. And That's you'll get, it. You'll get on a team. Yeah. yeah. The team will handle the marketing. So I have to market myself in a certain way. So now we're in the entertainment industry. So it's no longer about sports, it's about the entertainment industry now. And so when I first moved out there, well, I'm in California. I don't have a fan base out there. I can't right, sell right, right. So instead what I had to do, I would go to the promoters and go, give me your most popular guy that nobody wants to fight. I'll fight that guy. And I was hanging in there, but sometimes I lost because I was asking for the best of the best because I knew I couldn't sell the tickets that sure. they wanted me to. Sure. So instead I go, give me your biggest ticket seller. And so I'd be like, give me a guy who sells a hundred tickets at one of your shows mm-hmm. and I'll fight that guy. So anyway, sometimes I lost, sometimes I won. It happened. When I moved home because of COVID, so it reached a point where the gym I worked at shut down. The clientele I had, I would train some of them on Zoom, and eventually it reached the point where they didn't want to do that anymore, and I understand why. Yeah, that's tough. The security jobs that I had were very limited because I used to work at nightclubs. Mm-hmm. Well, again, what's shut down during COVID? Nightclubs. Yeah. 
So during the election, I was actually guarding politicians. And so I made some money doing that for a while, but literally I knew it was temporary because the election was going to be over at some sure. point. And I guarded Tito Ortiz, like former Huntington Beach bad boy from the UFC. Hmm. So Tito Ortiz became mayor of Huntington Beach. And I remember guarding him and I was there during the riots. I was there. I don't know if you ever saw the video where a bunch of those cop cars get lit on fire in Hollywood. Oh, I don't think I did. I was there for it. There oh. were people lighting them on fire and then they would graffiti them. It was a wild time. I can't even imagine. Yeah. And there would be crowds of people coming up to us, standing in front of us. And it was terrifying. So eventually I reached the point where I said, okay, I, I had reached, getting out of Cali. Yeah. <laughs> I reached a point where I had lost everything, mm -hmm. everything that I had built, everything I worked for was gone within the span of a few months during COVID. So, and I just reached a point where I'm sitting in my apartment all by myself alone. Everybody that was, I thought was, you know, a friend was gone. Yeah. And I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. And I remember I called my buddy Danny, who used to fight with Mike Tyson on his team. Back Batch in Elder? Yeah. Yeah. I so, remember Danny. So I called him, and I just was like, I don't know what to do. And he said, Don, you're... Wasn't, wasn't Danny the, like, bare-knuckle mm -hmm. champion? Was that he was, was world 40, champion? 44 and 1 is a bare-knuckle boxer. I don't know what the exact title was, but he was, like, a world champion in bare-knuckle boxing. Yeah. He was a scary dude. And the only loss <laughs> he has was he got his face cut open, and he was actually still good. And he was winning the fight other than the cut. And they said, we're sorry. We have to stop the fight. You're bleeding too much. Medical. So That's crazy. Yeah. I remember uh, at North Point, actually, his boys were, were going there. And That's I just. Nasty. Dude. And I think they're wrestlers now. They were wrestlers and boxers as well. Yeah. But the mitts on Danny, his hands were oh, just. Yeah. I can't imagine getting knocked in the head by one of those. Oh things. yeah, it doesn't feel great. No, <laughs> yo, you learned firsthand. I'm oh, sure. Dude, yeah. We used to spar all the time. <laughs> but yeah, it just when I called Danny, so I said to Danny, I go, I, I don't know what to do. I'm having, and he looked at, he just said to me, he goes, dude, you're lost. Come home. I go, what do you mean? He goes, I was lost at one point when I was training with Team Tyson, and I lost all the money because I blew it all. And he said to me, he goes, I made. Throughout my career, $10 million. Because you know how much money I have from that? Nothing. He said, come home. It's okay to come home. And so I just went, I'm coming home. And suddenly, like, I lit up. And I just was like, I'm yeah. going home. And then, so I moved back in January of 2021. Okay. So you moved back home. You are training at Nadakana because now it's pretty much back in regular So we were we were still in COVID times. We were still... We were limiting the classes to, we called it pods. We had yeah, different classes where we go, you are in this specific pod. So there were limited size classes. We were still in masks. and it, Rolling in masks was that, awful. It, yeah. But, and I would try to explain to people, go, we are a state-funded facility. Yeah. Like, we understand, but I have to follow the guidelines. 100%. Just, Don't want to get shut down. Exactly. So I'm like, we're trying to stay open. Yeah. And so we had some people that didn't like it. Some were understandable. Others were fully supportive and others just went, nah, man, I don't want to train here. I go, understandable. That's fine. Yeah. Do what you got to do. And so we got to make good decisions. The school, you know, survived. And eventually the school now is bigger than it's ever been. I know, man, those classes are packed right now. I know. I love it. Last night's class. My God, like you, you like. You're just bumping into people. Yeah. Uh, thank God Jim's got the other room opening yeah. up. And so we're renovating that space. And so we're, and the school that's in the back, they're moving yep. out. So we're going to have three spaces to be able to utilize. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. 
So, so help me understand. So you're, so you're back here, you're training full time, you're training people full time. Uh, and you made the decision to go pro. You, so you hadn't been punched in the face in a while and you were, you were yeah. kind of, you got so the So the last time I fought MMA was in, I want to say 2019. Yeah. And so I remember this. So there's a promotion in Vermont called Donnybrook Fight Promotions. They're phenomenal. The owner of it is Rex Thompson. So Rex Thompson was in town and he came to our gym and he brings in, he, he messages me. He goes, Hey, I got a guy that's looking to do some tie rounds after jujitsu. Would you mind sparring with him? I go, sure. I know nothing about the guy. I don't care. Guy comes in. He's a heavyweight. He's huge, gigantic. He's easily like six, three. And like James Bruchak? Yeah, he's huge. just a huge <laughs> dude. Such a big dude. So I first he does a jiu-jitsu class, so I roll with him and I'm strangling him. I'm I'm beating him up. And so this kid, I could tell, wasn't educated in terms of he's used to people either being good at jujitsu or striking, and he and so in his head he's like, Oh, this guy beat me up in jujitsu. Clearly he can't beat me in tie. So he's thinking, and he's just like, Can we do some tie rounds? And I go, sure, man. So we put on our gear. And we did three three-minute rounds, and I dropped him. So I first I dropped him with the left hook, and then I dropped him with a spinning back kick to the body. And he just was like, I'm done. I can't anymore. And so we're really good friends now, but he tells people, he's just like, dude, the first time I met Don, I challenged him to a tie fight, and I regret that decision so much. <laughs> but so Rex, who is the promoter, he's there. He says to me, he goes, why are you not pro yet? I go, what do you mean? He goes, dude, do you not realize what you are? And at this point, I had all these, again, I have a lot of mental health issues. And I try to explain to people, like, this is how I help supplement it Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, again, my brain shuts off finally. And so I'm having these issues of anxiety, of fighting. I'm having these issues where I'm not confident in myself anymore. And a lot of it was everything that I lost during COVID. And I just was so down on myself and depressed still. Mm Mm-hmm. And he said to me, he goes, you can, like, he was very encouraging. Obviously, he wanted me to fight for him, but he's just like, I truly believe in you. And Rex has been a very good friend to me ever since. Yeah, it's awesome. And so shortly after, I had taken a pro fight. And what ended up happening was the guy dropped out last minute, like the week before the fight. And I remember I was, I walk around 185 pounds and I fight at 155 and I was 157. I can't believe that you suck that much weight. Yeah, it's a good time. That is so much, like, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't recommend it. But yeah, so he calls me on a Monday. The fight's on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. And he's like, your opponent dropped out. I have a last minute fight for you, but it's an amateur tie fight instead. So you're not going to be able to turn pro yet. I go, that's fine. And I just said... And he said, but it's also up at 170. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I I'll just... go eat a couple of cheeseburgers. Yeah, that's pretty much what I did, honestly. <laughs> so I go, fine. So I was like, I'm not going to eat, you know, tons of crap. So I went, I ate healthy. I got the weight back on in time. And I show up on the scale and I'm chugging water up there. And I said, I get on the scale, it's 169. I'm like, all right, I'm good. Yeah, right. And I went out there against the kid. And the kid was experienced, too. Like, he was a tough dude. But I broke his leg with low kick. So I kicked his leg so badly that I broke his femur. You broke his femur? Yeah. That's the strongest bone in the body, man. Not unless it's one of my shins. So I've conditioned my shins over time where the bones are fused together. That is insane that you broke his femur. Yeah. 
And that must have sucked really bad for the guy. Whoever you are, man, I am so uh, sad. Sorry for your feelings. Cody, I'm sorry, buddy. Oh, that's awful. But yeah, so after that, Rex was like, dude, we need, so about, I want to say about a year later, because what I did was I sat back and said, hey, I'm taking a break because every time I fight now, it's not like back then. Back then, I would fight like every week if I could. Sure. Be, but also, I didn't have any responsibilities. I've got thing. I got people that I got to look after now in my gym. And I just decided like, you know what? I'm going to help our fight team because at this point, we didn't have any fighters. And the biggest recommendation I had from, um, from Fabio Grigel, I asked him, I go, you have one of the best gyms in the world. How did you make that? When, you know, you're one of the best in the world, you open up your own gym. Mm -hmm. How do you make, how do you get good training partners? And he goes, you make them. And so I decided I'm going to take the next year and I helped develop a couple of guys on the team that I thought had a lot of potential. And we went to Donnybrook with four fighters and everybody just did really well. And so. So who's fighting right now? So you've got Sean. Mm -hmm. And uh, Priya. That's your girlfriend, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know anything about her. I know Sean, Sean's a beast, right? Mm -hmm. Like. He's doing pretty well. Yeah, it's really annoying sparring with Sean now. Because <laughs> he's getting good. Well, the issue is I've taught him so much, specifically on how to stop me. Yeah. And I'm like, crap. He's really good at, oh, no. On stopping you. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just like, he's he's one of the toughest dudes in there. And like he's one of the guys where like, if you have to spar with him, you just kind of go, ah, oh, no. Yeah. Well, I'll say too, man, I uh, I really appreciate your, your training. Um on the few classes that I've done with you uh, since being back, um, I, I, your your training is amazing. Thank you. I like you had your attention to details, so the way that you explain things. Like I said at the gym, uh, Jim, when he was in here on the podcast, where I was like, dude, I was like, I'm super impressed with Donnie, man. Like he is like, he, you become a great instructor. And I've always said it, you know, even back then before I moved, I go, I'm a better coach than I am a fighter. And I'm, I'm a good fighter, but... I just prefer coaching much more. It's much more rewarding to me to help people level up. The only reason why I fight now is kind of to help set an example for yeah. people and once in a while, like to remind people who I am Yeah, and just be like, dude, I can do this too. Like, don't forget that. And so, but fighting takes a lot of my heart, mind and soul and body all have to be like, I couldn't imagine what you guys are doing going in the ring like that, man. Yeah. That's and nuts. so if, one of those aspects isn't lined up. I go, I'm not fighting anytime soon. Yeah. So, so, and I know that we're getting short on time, but you, um, so, you, but you ended up turning pro. Yeah. You, you got your pro fight. Yes. So, uh, tell us real quick about that. What so, they finally found a pro fight for me. Guy's name was Jason LePage, and he had a better amateur record than me. The stats actually said I had a 10% chance of winning. No shit. So I went, all right. Underdog. Yep. I go, thank you. Luckily, this isn't a math problem. So. Yeah. <laughs> and so I went out there. Within about the first 30 seconds, he tried to take me down. He, I got right back up. He couldn't secure the takedown. And as we separated, I threw What kind elbow. of takedown? Did he shoot a double on Yeah, you? he tried to shoot a double right away. I could tell him, like, you don't want to fight. You want to wrestle. Yeah. And so as we separated, I cut his face open with an elbow. Oh. And... After that, I could tell that he was not having it. And from there on out, he never successfully took me down again. So you kept him on his feet the whole mm -hmm. time. I was kicking his legs, jabbing, punching him straight in the face, hitting him with hooks. I threw a teep at one point up the middle, like a front kick right up the middle onto his chin. Yikes. So finally, at one point, we ended up in a clinch situation, and I was going for a throw called Uchimata. I landed it in the first round, but I couldn't in the second round because he was resisting. So there's a way that I jumped into a leg lock, and so I landed a heel hook on him after that. Oh, I think I read that actually. Yeah. That yeah, that you got him with a. So after tearing him apart on the feet, 
And there were a few moments in the first one we hit the ground, but I should have superior there too. Yeah. But I knew I had to be patient with him. He was a tough, strong dude. And I knew one little slip up and he would have had me. So I go, I cannot let this guy get a dominant position. Mm -hmm. And so finally I got him in the heel hook and it was a little back foot. There's a position called the honey hole. And so it's a leg entanglement where I'm dominant. You can't leg lock me, but I can leg lock you all day. Okay. And I went from a straight ankle lock into something called the clover and then into the heel hook. And yeah, and that's how I won. That's amazing. Uh, congratulations on the win Thank and you. the pro debut. Thank you. Hard earned. Yeah, Long road, you. right? Oh yeah. How did it feel to finally, to finally not only get a pro fight, but to win it? Oh, that was one of the best feelings I've had in a long, long yeah, time. Yeah, I bet. I bet. It's amazing. Um, so, and I, I also want to touch on real quick. So, and you kind of went there a little bit, but you're aside from working at, uh, the Dakana and training and doing all this stuff, but you're also working with, tell us about the, the whole Olympic Muay Thai okay. team thing. So the, we have a Muay Thai team now for the Olympics. There are uh, Muay Thais in the Olympics. Now we've only had one event so far in the Olympics. And when you say we, you mean America as in our, our country. Yeah. yeah. So America got second. Thailand got third, so we beat Thailand at their own sport. That's but pretty sweet. Ukraine got first. I I did not see that one coming. Ukraine, huh? yeah, you wouldn't, but yeah, hmm. hey, that's a fighting country. Don't I get? Yeah, that. right. So that's rough. Yeah, so I just uh, I noticed that there was a tournament coming up, and one of the standards was for this kid Damien. You have to have three sanctioned fights. Well, Damien only had two, so we flew out to California over the weekend back where I used to live and train. Yeah. And uh, he fought. He had some really tough kids. He had to go up in age, weight, and skill level. Wow. And he hung in there with this kid that was ranked in the state of California. This was a tough kid. And Damien lost on decision, but I go, hey, we just need three sanctioned fights. You don't need to win them all. And so in the next three and a half weeks or so, we're going to go to Indiana, and he's going to compete for an opportunity to join the youth Olympic team. And if he wins it, he goes to Turkey next. That's amazing. And so I don't care if he wins or loses. I want to get the kid as much experience as possible. Yeah. And I explain to people again, amateur career doesn't mean a thing. The amateur career is get you experience to see if you want or are ready for a pro career. And there are people who go through an amateur career that will never turn pro. Sure. And that's okay. If your goal is to be a pro fighter, you have to go through the amateurs first. And if you don't do well, oh, well, then you shouldn't turn pro. That's my opinion on it. I'm not allowed to have that opinion according to some people, but that's that's the opinion I have. If you have a horrible amateur career and you are not doing well and you're just constantly getting your butt kicked, it's one thing if you lose a decision, it was a close fight, fine. Sure. If you are getting destroyed at amateurs, please, for the love of God, don't turn pro. But the issue is you can go to a promotion and just go, I want to be a pro fighter, and that they're just going to look at you and go, okay, how much money can you make me? That's all they care about. Yeah. So with, Do you get paid if you lose in pro fighting? Yes. You just don't get paid as much. Okay. So there's a certain amount that's agreed upon when you show up, and then there's a certain amount that's agreed upon if you win. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. And so with Damien, he had aspirations early on to be a pro fighter. So I said, okay. Whenever someone says it to me, I never believe it right away. Like, I usually get excited. But now I'm just like, we'll see if you actually want it. Once mm -hmm. when I put you through what it takes. And so far, the kid has proven it we'll see as time goes on obviously what he wants he's young he's 11 years old but you know for people to say you can't that's ridiculous to me anything's possible yeah and so 
it's wild because we're again we're in an area where some people think you just have to get a nine to five job and that's it like no you could do whatever you want with your life it's just a matter of how hard do you want to struggle for certain things do you want to go live in a van mm-hmm. although i still say that i don't know if that's really a sacrifice i mean it sounds amazing to me to live on a in a van not you the know sitting at the beach that i hated was like i'd have to like you know get up in the morning i have to drive to 7-eleven and use, yeah, yeah, use the bathroom yeah, yep. yeah, or yeah. using the shower at the gym and stuff like that yeah. and i was that guy but other than that if i could renovate because i want to do a sprinter van i know these guys and girls are doing these conversion vans all this i'm not smart stuff. enough like, to do that man sounds amazing i, I don't understand those me things. i would i would do the sleeping bag in the the VW van, that'd be the... That's basically what I did. Yeah. That's amazing. So, um, Don, I, I can't thank you enough for coming in oh, and, and telling an amazing story. Um, and so if someone wants to uh, get a hold of you, find you, learn more about the kind of training that you do, how you can help them, if they're, whether they just want to do it for, you know, self-defense or if they want to get into fighting, how, how do they find you? So you can either message me on Instagram, Don, the soldier son, Walton. There's an underscore between all of those. Okay. Uh, you just add me on Facebook, Donald Walton, or you can just go to our website, www.nebjja.com, and you can find us through that. And that, that A on the end of that is the important part, because yes. there isn't nebjja.com. It's a different website. Di- totally different place. Yes. I found that out the other day, actually. I was yeah, yeah. Looking for the, the class schedule, and I was like, nebjja.com. I'm like, no, that's not it. So <laughs> nebjja.com. Yes. All right. That's awesome. Well, thanks again, man. And again, I, and I will just one more time say how amazing of an instructor you are. Thank you. And uh, if anyone's in the area looking for really high quality instruction, not only is Nadakana a, a great place to go and train, but Don's an amazing coach. So thank you, thank you, absolutely. Thanks again. Good to see you. Thank you, man. And uh, thanks everybody for listening to Buying Local. The superpower that every citizen has is the ability to control where they spend their time, money, and attention. By focusing these on supporting local businesses, you are having a profound impact on your friends, your family, and your local community. So if you want to change the world, you can start with buying local.